Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 145. Halloween times is officially over. Co-host Josh Long, yes. I'm sure you're relieved. Oh, man. You were I, so scared for so long. I've been just hiding under beds and closets, everything like that, and now... Like a monster. Right. That's weird. Well, <laughs> you if turn I'm the under tables, there, the yeah. monsters can't be under there. It's that it's that bully mentality mm-hmm. of, you know, if I'm, like, I'm feeling really insecure, so if I beat up on somebody more insecure, yeah. then I feel better. So... Yeah, so yeah. I went out and I murdered some teenagers at a lake. Right, absolutely. I, uh, you, you know, invaded people's dreams. Terrorized some villagers, that right. kind of thing. And, you possessed and, uh, a young girl. Yeah. Yeah, lots of, lots of, uh, it's been a busy month for you. It has been, and I am in some serious legal trouble. <laughs> As it turns out, nobody ever brought uh, Jason to court. No, I never did. Um, although I do seem to recall that, uh, you know, in the 80s, they were just cranking these sequels out and they were always looking for like new things to do. Mm-hmm. Sorry. They were looking for new things to do and then never and then settled on doing the same thing over <laughs> and over again. But there was talk of, uh, I believe it was a Friday the 13th. I don't think it was Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it was Friday the 13th where... Uh, in like the fifth or sixth movie, they were toying with the idea of like, Jason has been arrested. He is now in captivity hmm. and they f- feel like they should have a trial for him or something like that. Wow. And it's like, and I, he would probably get out and like murder the lawyers and all probably, that Probably, kind of yes. You can make that work. I mean, I, you could probably make that work as much as any of those other ones work. Exactly. Um, but people don't like new things. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they just figure like, all right, just give him a machete and have him kill some teenagers. It has worked before. That's what everyone wanted to see. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so thank you everybody for your, um, your response to Halloween times. It's been a great deal of fun. Uh, but you know what? Back to work. Back to business. Back to business. But before we get into today's topic, I did want to mention, and this is a thing I'll be mentioning for the next several months, uh, the International Christian Film Festival, which I uh, attended and had a, a, a booth at um, this last April. Uh, they're doing it again, I believe. I, they've done it for a number of years now. It's going to be in Orlando, uh, April 28th through 30th uh, of 2016. So you can check out, uh, you can Google the International Christian Film Festival and find out more details. Uh, you can find out about like getting a room and that sort of thing and, and the various prices to attend. Um, and I will say that the reason that I'm pushing it is because, uh, yes, I will have a booth there again, but also I will be giving a lecture, seminar, whatever you want to say. Um, it's going to be about 45 minutes long. As of right now, the... Uh, the title is Speaking the Language of Film. So you're welcome to uh, attend the festival and then come see my, uh, my seminar. But they have been very, ni- uh, very good to me the last couple of years. And it's, I'm very excited to be giving that seminar. Um, so, and and I, I think I probably recounted to, uh, to you guys what uh, happened last, uh, this past uh, festival. Um, and yeah, I think we, and this will play into today's uh, discussion, uh, I think we have an idea of what Christian film fans are like, and as far as their behavior as well as their taste. Now, honestly, I can't speak much about their about their taste, and I don't mean to be insulting when I say that, but it's just, it's not the most artistically discerning, in my opinion. However, uh, these people were remarkably friendly and encouraging and often loving and supportive uh 
you know, when I talked about the movies that I like, undoubtedly, you know, there are a bunch of rated R movies in there. And undoubtedly, there are people that were frustrated by that or, or at least disagreed with it. But they did not show any of that. They listened to what I had to say. And they were very, again, very supportive, very encouraging. I should say that um, uh, at Alpha Omega Con and at the International Christian Film Festival, I have taken some of uh, some of Josh's films I took uh, for the title and I took the DVD of The Unemployed Mind with me to sell at Alpha MegaCon they sell only okay at the International Christian Film Festival people like snatched them up because they wanted to be because they wanted to be supportive um it is a very positive atmosphere um and I was very happy to be a part of it and I'm excited to be a part of a uh, part of it again uh, next year so you can find out more by going to uh, their website, which I believe is icff.com, but don't quote me on that. You can just Google International Christian Film Festival, and that'll take you where you need to go. So uh, I'll be mentioning it, you know, uh, not necessarily every week, but I'll be mentioning it pretty frequently over the next few months um, because I don't know. I feel <laughs> I feel like I kind of owe them for um, for letting me do a, a seminar. So um, okay, I think we've got that uh, that done. So, speaking of Christian film, Josh. Christian film, Josh? Yeah, what would he look like? I don't know. Probably be a little cleaner cut, I think. Yeah, maybe more likable. Or just anything. Have any personality at all. Eh. Be a little bit memorable. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like he might be a little bland. He, it's hard to say. It, uh, he could be like, you know, it depends on if, you know, is he Presbyterian? Is he, is he charismatic Christian That's film, true. Josh? Who knows? Um, so, uh, okay. So as people know, uh, last year we reviewed a movie called Believe Me, which I regularly cite as the best Christian film out there. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, it has competition now, but it's qual- I should qualify this. Uh, so today we're talking about, uh, Andrew and John Irwin's Woodlawn, which I think is actually a very a very good movie for what it is. There's a lot of qualifiers when I talk about Woodlawn. I think cinematically and directorially, I think Woodlawn is a better film than Believe Me. I think Believe Me has a much better script. And because I like comedy and because I like what Believe Me is doing and the way that it's doing it, I think I prefer Believe Me. But as far as just a visual experience, um, and as far as filmmaking, I think Woodlawn is better. Um, I don't know if uh, if co-host Josh, uh, co-host Christian film Josh, will uh, <laughs> agree with me, uh, but that's okay. Um, so it's a film that I had heard a little bit about um, when I went to see the tr- when I went to see um, War Room. I believe you were a little bit late, so you, I don't think you saw a lot of the trailers when we saw war room together no i missed some of them for sure okay but i think i was there for part i don't remember there was a trailer for this um there was a trailer for you know 90 minutes in heaven is that what it's called i don't know it's there's there just there are a bunch of there's that one for the 33 about the the trapped miners yeah, which actually one. which comes out soon and actually still looks pretty good that to might me. be good um there's that risen one i've seen i've been seeing that trailer oh, that since one's all over the place this summer yeah um and and part of me it's just like from a production value standpoint it looks pretty good yeah. so why not i'll see it yeah uh drake Al- draco malfoy's in it that's <laughs> exciting 
and Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yeah. So, um, wouldn't it be funny if the characters themselves were in it, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, almost like a, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of thing, except the Extraordinary Gentlemen consist of Jesus, Draco Malfoy, and William Shakespeare <laughs> solving <They're>, crimes. <laughs> and those last two are a little bit out of their time period. <laughs> um, well, God does not exist in time, so, you know. It's true. So they he he plucked William Shakespeare and Draco Malfo- Malfoy out of history and fiction and decided okay <laughs> and we've got our team in Jesus times we've got our A team um, I I hope that uh, that Joseph Fiennes plays both Shakespeare and the Centurion or whatever the part oh sure he plays absolutely so he pulls double duty there kind of a uh, no, no, can, oh kind of a Peter Sellers. Exact, absolutely. Or like an Alec Guinness. Did you ever see Kind Hearts yeah, and Coronets? I have, yeah. I want him to play eight roles. That's what <laughs> I want. Um, and I want him to play uh, like Jesus sometimes, but not all the time. I want there to be some <laughs> scenes that are like, wait, wait, hang on. Anyway, you never know which one he is. You never know. Oh, boy. That's, th- that's Oscar gold right there. Get on it, Hollywood. So, uh, Look, as we all know, in a discussion of Woodlawn, it's only a matter of time before you bring up Kind Hearts and Coronets, um, so, uh, which is a wonderful film, by the way. I really enjoy it. Um, I think I prefer The Man in the White Suit more. Like, I those, seen that one. Those Alleghenis Ealing comedies all, mm-hmm. you know, uh, are all pretty good. And I also love uh, The Lavender Hill Mob. Have you seen that one? one? I haven't seen that either. Oh, it's great. I think I own both Man in the White Suit and Lavender Hill Mob. You can borrow them if you want. Could I? You could. Except you're not going to, obviously, because yeah, you have not. to read your depressing book. Yeah. Also, I'm going to be out of town for a long time, and I probably won't read it between, watch it between when I leave. And you could take them with you. Mm. It'll be a long trip. Also, I might forget them in one of, I don't know, eight different states. That's true. <laughs> yes. Okay. I would not like that. Um, but it would give me an excuse to buy them on Blu-ray. That's true. Um, so, <laughs> which you I'm just always... throw them away, and then you'd have an excuse. <laughs> That's true. Yes. But somehow it just seems wasteful. Uh, okay. Sorry, everybody. Um, so yeah, I saw a trailer for for Woodlawn uh, when I saw War Room, and it looked like kind of a standard thing. Like, okay, it's another, it's a sports movie with Christianity in it. It's not an unheard of idea. Uh, but on Facebook and Twitter, I had heard people saying that Woodlawn is like the best Christian film ever, and that it it really is a a cut above the the usual fare. And so. So I was intrigued, um, and then a lot of people that I trust uh, on Facebook, uh, people that have that have interviewed us and are sympathetic to our cause, um, they saw Woodlawn and said it was pretty good. And so I thought, all right, you know, if it's if it's that good, I feel like I should probably see it since this seems to be a, a an interesting narrative that's been going on in more than one lesson that I wasn't really expecting mm-hmm. uh, over the years, which is checking in of christian film yeah uh i wasn't expecting it but but here we are so i saw woodlawn and i thought it was for a christian film and i i'm tired i don't like having to say that but i will for a christian film i think it is excellent Mm -hmm. for film in general i think it's fine um but the thing that got me is the stuff that detracted from the film are the things that would detract from any film Mm mm-hmm you know, I found myself judging performances and that sort of thing, but judging them in so far as, I don't know, do you, I assume you know what I mean, which is when you watch a Christian film, everything drops lower and you just feel like I'm not even watching a real movie. Yeah. 
And it's so kind of like when it. you're watching a movie that one of your friends made and it's like, absolutely. Okay, well, what works in here? Yeah. And you're trying to think of something positive, but overall it just, it doesn't, it can't stand up against most of the other stuff that you're watching. Right. To the point that it, it feels like it feels unfair to even compare them, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but this felt like the script needs a lot of work. We'll get to the stuff we didn't care for in a moment. Um, we want to lead with positivity. Um, the, I don't know. It's, it felt like a real movie to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there are, it is not perfect by any stretch. I believe I gave it three stars, which was probably out of five on letterbox, which is probably a bit generous. If mm-hmm. I'm being more honest, I'd probably drop that to two and a half. I think I, I did two and a half, but in the, in the world of, but two and a half is a real movie for me. Yeah. When you get to one star, one and a half stars, whether it be a Christian film or otherwise, that's when it's like, all right, this it doesn't even deserve to be thought of in the same way yeah. as a regular film. And so, but this one did. And so that's, that's my reaction to it. And we can delve more into the specifics in a moment. Um, what was your reaction to the film, either expectation or, or anything like that? I think it was for the most part positive. Um, Part of the hard thing for me is it. Uh, I'm not really into football movies. I'm not that interested in football, which I know you're not either. Absolutely not. Um, and I, I think I've talked about this before about how war movies just don't really interest me that much. And even if they're good, like even when you see a good one, when I think of war movies, they all kind of blurred together in this same world of like a genre that is like okay, but I. I don't care about them very much. I, and that's how I feel yeah. about football movies. Anytime, anytime a movie of that, of like war or sports, uh, anytime a new movie is about that, my first thought is like, are you going to try and bring anything new to it? You mm-hmm. know, like Moneyball, I thought brought something new to yeah. a sports movie. No, I do too. Um, and at this point, the movie's 16 years old, but I thought Thin Red Line brought something new or at least fresh to mm-hmm. the war genre. And that was yeah. the same year saving private Ryan, which brought a hyper realism that was uncomfortable, but that's the, that's the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then I feel like there haven't been that many, but I know what you mean. There are certain genres that it's just like, are you just trying to bank on people's association with it? Or are you actually going to try and do something different with it? Yeah. And, uh, it also has wrapped in up in that kind of the uh, the black versus white movie, which is something that I generally don't like. But I feel like it mostly the the movie this movie mostly succeeded in trying to say uh, that it's about something bigger. Yeah. So instead of kind of being like through football, we can you know we can and, and like teamwork and and all the positive things right. and if. It's it's not saying through all these positive things we can overcome racism and difficulties, and it's not even saying like uh, God has a bunch of nice things to say, and if we believe those things, then we can conquer racism. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't really that either. I think it it did seem to I think in a pretty genuine way focus on why this thing in this thing being Christianity and faith is bigger than uh, either winning or getting along right. or or those uh types of conflicts and those things might happen yeah but they are a a natural byproduct of the deeper thing that is that is going on yeah um yeah at uh yeah well i'm glad that you that you liked it again it's still it's still 
somewhat qualified for me just to repeat what I said a moment ago, like the reason that I'm excited is because I am now I'm, I feel like I'm able to judge it the way I judge other movies. Now in doing that, it comes up short in a number of ways, but the very fact that I can do it is a huge step in the right direction. And there are some genuinely good things about the film. So, uh, and we'll lead with that. Uh, so the thing that struck me the most you know, you and I regularly, when we, when we talk about Christian film, we regularly talk about how they don't even look like a regular movie, whether it be, you know, filters on the camera or the lack thereof or camera movement or the lack thereof or, you know, uh, blocking and stuff. It just it doesn't visually look the way movies look. One of the things you and I liked about Believe Me and that it, is that it does have that quali- that quality to it, and I think this one very much does as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes place in the 19, 1960s and seventies. As such, um, from a I'll say this from an art direction and costume standpoint, I bought it. Um, but then also from a photography standpoint, they do a thing that ma- that could be seen as a little bit simplistic, but it works, which is um, I think they faded the colors a little bit. Um, yeah, I it, think so. It felt like you're looking at kind of a Polaroid picture, uh, except during the football scenes, in which case the color is a bit is more vibrant, or at least yeah. it looks more vibrant. Even it might just be the way it looks. But during, you know, when they're in school, when they're talking with each other, like the way the sun comes in and the way these, I don't know, it's it looks faded. It looks like you're watching an older film or you at least get that sense. Yeah. And that goes a long way to creating a period. And that, and I think part of that too is the color palette that they choose in both mm-hmm. the costumes and the, and the set decoration. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I mean, you're a big, you're a big seventies guy. And I guess to a certain extent I am too. When mm-hmm. I think of like some of my favorite movies, um, you know, when you think of the seventies, well, okay. When I think of the seventies, I do tend to think of a color palette of, yellow, orange, red, and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, is, is that the same for yeah, you? I or? think that's pretty accurate. Um, to the point that even a movie like the Godfather has a, a brownish color palette mm-hmm. where even though characters are wearing suits and tuxedos and hats and all that things that would be black, somehow mm-hmm. I still think of that movie as Brown. And it's interesting. It could just be because that was something in the cultural zeitgeist during the seventies. And then that, mm-hmm. so now when we want something to look that way, we make it look like yeah. was popular in the seventies. But um, even that, sh- but even if it's as simple as that, like that shows an awareness on the part of yeah, the filmmakers. Totally. And it, and it works. And that's, uh, granted, this is obviously not the first movie to do this sort of thing, but it is a technique that works. And I think mm-hmm. it works well in this film. Uh, so yeah, from a, a cinematography standpoint, I'm very, and again, just the way the camera moves, um, and the way the, ca- the, the actors are, are staged, uh, it all feels very, it, for the most part, it feels very natural. Um, the The technical elements of the story do tend to take their cues from the narrative uh, as a way of, or from the emotional uh, elements of the story as opposed to anything thematic. Um, and that, I think, is a step in the right direction. From an editing standpoint, especially those football scenes, I think it's really, really well done. Um, I don't know, just like quick cuts and just really putting you in the midst of the, of the action. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also scenes with just two characters talking. Um, this is a function of both the editing and, and the script that 
unlike a lot of other Christian films that you and I have talked about, scenes tend not to overstay their welcome. Mm. A lot of Christian films, the scene will go on maybe like a solid minute to a minute and a half longer than it should because they really want to hit home theme or character. And this is a film that for the most part, again, there, uh, there are a lot of script issues, but knowing when to end a scene is a, is really important. And I think that they, I think they have that. And then, cut within that it keeps me interested it keeps me invested and then the scene's over and it's on to the next thing like mm-hmm. the the pacing even though the film is two hours and i think any almost any script problem i have with the film is probably a, a, from a structure standpoint mm-hmm. um and how they're choosing to tell the story um but within that as far as individual scenes and the way it hangs together in general from a pacing standpoint um I, I thought it worked very well. Um, do you have any thoughts about like the editing aspect? I really, it's, it sounds weird. I really want to hit home like cinematography, editing, writing, acting, mm-hmm. because these are the things that we so regularly get angry about, yeah. uh, in Christian film that I want to try and yeah. underline them. I, I liked the, uh, I liked the way they shot the, the football sequences, especially the one thing that we forget a lot is that it's difficult to shooting sports scenes is a lot like shooting action scenes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard for us just as viewers to understand how difficult it is to convey to a viewer what's happening, Mm -hmm. especially with something where there's a lot of people around and in a football sequence, everybody's got to be doing something. Nobody's just standing there. Um, but we have to know, uh, we have to know where our phone, the film has to direct our focus and has to let us know what is happening with that person inside that context when there's a lot of movement going on. Um, and I think this does a, a good job of that. You can usually tell when he's making drives and when he's cutting around people. And there's mm-hmm. a p- point when uh, the Tony Nathan character is what I'm talking about. There's, there's a point when he's almost tackled, he starts to go down, and they're even calling it that he's gone down, but then you see him kind of throw the... the, the um, defender and keep moving and yeah you can understand what's happening in all those parts i feel like there's rarely a moment when you're like no wait a minute what happened well, yeah and uh, which happens in real football when you're watching real football you're a lot of times like no wait a minute what where did uh yeah but usually the, the reason i can't keep track is because i've gotten distracted by my phone or <laughs> anything more interesting i recognize people like football but uh, i just i can watch baseball i can watch basketball and mm-hmm. hockey i cannot watch football and i have no idea why um <laughs> I will sometimes watch a highlight reel of like really good plays from a certain game. Yeah. Um, and I'd be like, wow, that looks pretty good. You condense this thing down to three great minutes and we're, now we're talking. Well, and that, that's what Which the is film what, does. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, I think that's an intelligent move on any kind of sports movie. You don't want to watch the whole game. You want to know the emotional impact. You want to know right. what the stakes are. And then you want to see the points that mean something. Yeah. Um, and so I just saw a movie that is not, good called the last witch hunter um with oh, you went to see that well i i was on comedy film nerds yeah, yeah and i talk about to, it for something yeah. i figured yeah that so <laughs> that movie looks so bad uh, and it's it not is, it's not that bad actually really it's it's to an it's like a two-star movie which is not it's just i can't stop laughing at vin diesel every time i see him in one of those one of those uh, commercial he's kind of Sylvester Stallone now, isn't he? If you think about it a little bit, he just comes in and he, he doesn't belong in, in these type. I guess he's he's, Sylvester Stallone with less range. <laughs> yes. And if, if they put Sylvester Stallone into more like 
sci-fi or uh yeah. like more that type of genre stuff because he's you know riddick and all these like yeah. that's his kind of that's his bag but he doesn't fit in any of these places and he seems like a big dumb gook and he says <laughs> there's, a, there's some line he has in uh i can't remember in one of the trailers he says something like we're gonna have to take care of these witches and I'm like, yeah oh. <laughs> yeah and the character by the way is 800 years old <laughs> so <laughs> Because he was cursed by a witch because all he wants to do is die. Like his whole family has been killed and he just wants to die. And these 800 years I've been able to invest myself with the wisdom of the ancients. Yeah. It's that's the thing is just the mythology of the film is not terrible. Um, It's not a bad idea to hang a movie on. You get anybody else. You get like a, for example, like a Hugh Jackman. Yeah. He can play, he can play the period, but then Mm -hmm. he can also play a guy who's been around 800 years and has evolved with the times now we're talking is, isn't that, it depressing to think about how the screenwriter probably would have loved it if it had been Hugh Jackman sure. when, the, when the producers came we're like we got Vin Diesel he's a huge uh, well and Vin Diesel was one of the producers draw. oh really yeah mm-hmm. uh, but the point is <laughs> the reason I brought up the last witch hunter and probably this, this is the last time I will ever bring up or think about the last witch hunter um, so uh, it had a 90 million dollar budget and you can see it on the screen like visually it looks okay mm-hmm. but when it comes time for the action and there's not even that many people involved it's usually like vin diesel and like one or two like monsters and i don't know what's happening like the way really? it's cut together like i just don't know and it's also shot kind of dark but it, i've seen dark movies where i know what's happening yeah uh and i watch it and just like oh how did he get the okay oh wait hang on now there's Oh, I guess the action sequence yeah. is over. I've seen that happen a lot in action yeah. movies where you you don't exactly know what's going on and it, it takes you out of it because at a point then you just kind of sit back and you're like, all right, I'll wait until this is over and just understand that some yeah. kind of action is happening and then afterwards from the context, I'll yeah. be able to tell what happened. Yeah. We'll see who's still standing and yeah. then, I, then I'll be able to surmise how everything went. Yeah. Um, and, that, and so the reason that I bring that up is because, like you said, this is a movie where during the, for lack of a better term, action sequences, we know what's happening, and it's not because they're holding the camera far away in a static shot, and then we're watching everything happen fluidly, and we understand. No, it's right there in the middle of it. Uh, it really kind of puts you, you know, I've, I've, I found myself accidentally in a football game once or twice, like on the playground, and uh, hated every moment of it. But, you know, when you're in the midst of that, it's chaos, but it's a chaos that you understand. It's a chaos that you're anticipating and you have to go with it and you have to make it work. And so these are characters that are in the midst of this chaos, but they know what to do. And as a result, we know what to do and we know what to look for. And so it's, it's almost in a way it's like confident chaos Mm -hmm. as opposed to pure, just no rules type of type of insanity. And so, yeah, that, and I guess that's a function of, of the editing and also n- knowing what to shoot and how to put it together. Yeah. And those sequences are very, very effective. Yeah. And I think that's also a function of the sound design. I, I like a, what they do. I'll get to the score in a moment, but, um, so the, the big thing that I learned from a technical standpoint, the big thing that I learned in film school is just how big of a role sound can play in selling the reality of a film. And it sounds strange to say that because, uh, you know, film is a visual medium first and foremost, and so why would sound be so important? I mean, for Pete's sake, film existed without sound for a long time, and mm-hmm. we still bought that reality. Um, but it's absolutely true. Like, if you, you know, whether it be uh, a sword hitting another sword, and it 
it has to have just the right clank sound for you to believe that those are real swords. Um, and in this, like the way that the sound of like the helmets hitting each other, the, the sound of like, uh, cleats tearing up the grass. Like they, they have a very specific attention to detail that worked very well for me. Um, there's a game that happens in the rain and you know, the, splashes of puddles and they even have this little thing that's super cheesy but i like but it worked for me where they blend uh again the cracking of helmets into the cracking of thunder mm. and it's done pretty seamlessly and it's this and it's a dramatic game and so that's a dramatic thing to happen and it's a pure it's purely an audio cue meant to really hit home the weight of this game it's and that's done purely with film through filmmaking. It's not done with someone declaring, "All right, everybody, this is a big game." Yeah. Um, I mean, they probably do say that early on, but in the midst of the game, for you to really understand the stakes and the weight, they found a way to do it without having somebody declare it, which I respect tremendously. Um, so, uh, moving to, I think some of the performances. I think, I think some of the performances are genuinely great. And I was really invested. And thankfully, I'd say the film has two leads, mm -hmm. um, which is the coach and the running back. So it's uh, Tandy Geralds and Tony Nathan. Let's just get out of the way. Tandy Geralds is a very silly name. Yes, it is. But apparently it's his actual name. That's all I have to say about it. So uh, both of those actors do great. And what's fascinating, in, in my opinion, and what's fascinating to me is that the guy who plays the coach... So he's got tons of experience. Like, he, first off, he's British, which I didn't know. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's done, a, like, a ton of British television. Like, this is not his first go-around. And, and I believe it. Like, he, he gives weight yeah. to the coach. He makes him seem genuinely no-nonsense. Mm. Um, when the character is emotional, he doesn't overplay it or underplay it. Like, I don't know. I believe that this guy is a seasoned high school football coach. Mm -hmm. Um What's interesting to me is that uh, Caleb Castile, who plays Tony Nathan, had no acting experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he was just a, fo a football player. And I think he was, I think somebody told me that he was hired to be the football stand-in for the other, for the actual actor. Really? Uh, but for some reason that wasn't working. And he, I think, does not even just, not even just as someone who's a non-actor. I thought he was an actor. And yeah. I thought he did a really good job of like holding my attention on screen. Hmm. Um, I don't know. What do, what do you think? I'd say he definitely has a good charisma to him. And I feel like yeah. he has that thing going on for him where he doesn't seem like he's trying to do anything. Yeah. Which I think is the thing that a lot of, especially a lot of actors have to unlearn, especially if they're coming from like the theater background or something. Yeah. Um, but it's weird. This is a weird comparison, but I've watched a few Elvis movies recently. Okay. And uh, Elvis doesn't really know how to act, mm -hmm. but he has charisma. And when he's just being natural, yeah, he's, he's actually kind of realistic. And it's weird to watch in a movie from the 50s where a lot of the acting was so heightened uh, to see him being almost oddly natural in a lot of these situations. And so again, weird comparison, but I see that a little bit in Caleb Castile is he doesn't, he doesn't seem like he's acting. Yeah. Which is usually a good thing. That's yeah. He's just, he's simply existing. He's inhabiting the character and being in the scene, but he also has a lot of on-screen charisma. So you naturally want to look at him uh, and watch him. And it's just, I thought he did a really, really good job. And yeah. I'm interested to see if he'll get more acting roles as a result. Yeah. Um, and he clearly knows how to, I part way through one of the games. I thought they've got to find a guy who actually is really good at football. Cause yeah, 
to, to be able to time things like, uh, you know, he's running and other people have to look like they're chasing him, but not catching up with him. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the hardest things to get right is to show people running and actually look like they're running full speed because yeah. to be able to move cameras and other actors to get the correct pacing is not easy, but he's, he's really outrunning other people on this one. So I thought they, they must've got a guy who knows what he's doing. Yeah. Without that, they would have had to do like the Benny Hill thing, yeah. you know, where they just speed everything up and play yakety sax, um, which would have, you know what? I think tonally would have taken me out of the film. You know, I would have loved it though. Oh, I would have loved it. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't fit, but I'd be like, you know what? I'll watch that movie again. You know what? You just got yourself another half star. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and then also, okay, so listeners of Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson probably know that I am not the biggest fan of John Voight. Uh, in fact, for a long time, he was my least favorite actor ever because oh, I, wow. thought, I thought he was an overactor. Didn't you see Anaconda? <laughs> yes, I did. And you know what? In retrospect, uh, I actually resp- respect what he's doing in that film, which is anything. Um, but uh, no, I remember uh, the movie that, that frustrated me was uh, The Rainmaker. Uh, in which he is the opposing counsel. Well, I've seen the opposing counsel character a million times. I saw it in The Verdict. I've seen it in Anatomy of a Murder. I've seen it in a civil action. And the good actors understand... Okay, I feel bad because I just said that John Boyd's not a good actor. But I feel like they understand that, well, the character's just a lawyer. He doesn't have to be evil. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's he might be representing, like, an evil entity, but... You know, and and you could make him a little bit cynical. You could make him a little bit uh, distanced, but you don't have to make him like, aha, I agree with everything this that, that my client is doing. Um, and so, uh, but in the Rainmaker, he he plays the character just like like there's a scene where he's literally like frowning at a leukemia patient because <laughs> the patient is suing his insurance company client, and it's just like it's so over the top and ridiculous. But uh, in the right role. Uh, he can do very well. And I think when, you know, when he plays characters that maybe are a little bit over top, over the top by their nature, like for example, Howard Cassell in Ali, um, I think he works very well. And Mm -hmm. as Bill, as Bear Bryant, pardon me, um, you know, the character is just seen with such, is looked at with such reverence by everybody around him yeah. that, uh, that I think John Voight wisely lets a lot of that indicate the majesty of the character. So that frees him up to just sort of be a regular guy who's a little bit stubborn mm-hmm. and a little bit folksy and that sort of thing. Uh, but he doesn't have to play up how big he is because everyone else will do that for him. Mm-hmm. So I, he's, it's a supporting role. He's not in it very much, but I do like the scenes that he's in. And the scenes w- between him and uh, and uh, Tony Nathan are very good for me. Like the two have a natural chemistry on screen, and yeah. I don't know, it, it worked uh, very well. So, uh, and then a lot of the other performances are are pretty solid. Um, I will okay. So I was going to use acting to transition from po- from positive to negative. Is there anything else positively? Any anything else that you really liked and responded to about the film before I do that? Um, I don't think anything that stuck out at me. No, okay. Um, I didn't say too much about the performances, but I, you know, I did enjoy th- those two lead ones were the mm-hmm. I think the strongest performances, um, and the best casting choices. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I think I know where you're going with the 
problems that you had. Yeah. And, and by the way, like, uh, and we'll get to right now, like we're really breaking things down and then we'll come back around to general response Mm -hmm. to the film. Um, so, uh, there are some performances that don't work well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, much as I, much as it pains me to say it is Sean Astin, mm-hmm. um, who plays, uh, Hank turns out Hank's last name is Irwin. He is the father of the directors. Really? Yes. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And so it's, you know, clearly they had an investment in this story and you know, good for them. Uh, that makes I, sense. Yeah. Well, and I think the passion really shows. Um, but also, the thing is like this character, Hank is tricky. The way mm-hmm. he's written is tricky. He is like a sports chaplain. He, he's part of like the Jesus movement of the seventies. Um, and he's trying to like inject hope in and unity in teams that need it. And he sees this as a team that needs it. And mm-hmm. so he comes in and he, you know, gives not, not necessarily lectures, but he, you know, he's just, he's a chaplain, you know, uh, and that character's tough because the way he shows up on screen, he could be seen as a pest, as annoying, as this guy who's like, why is he still around? Like, there's a quality to that. And you need an actor that can, that can exude confidence and exude, like, when he says something, you want to hear it. And I hate to say it, but Sean Astin is not that actor. You think they cast him because he's Rudy? I did have that thought, yes, that there is an association there. Um, it, it's also because he's a name actor that works in Christian film. Yeah, true. And they um, needed to put him somewhere in a, in a somewhat prominent role. Uh, that made me think of something else, which we don't need to talk about. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't hate the performance. I don't think it's, I don't think it stands out, but I, I, I can't decide whether I think that it's mainly the fault of the script. Like I, that character never feels, feels like he fits that much and he's a necessary catalyst because mm-hmm. he's the one that brings them all, you know, that converts right. them all essentially. But I don't know, like for the rest of the movie, he, every time he pops in, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. Why is he here? Um, Yeah. I don't know. And, and, and I do, th- but that's the thing is like, yes, I think script wise, he's a problematic character. And I said, I'm reluctant to say that cause the word now means something different culturally, but, um, but he's, he's troublesome. But I do think that if you had the right actor, then again, when he shows up, like, and the idea of him always being in the background, it seems more like he's just sort of this stabilizing force as opposed to this person you forget about. And then he shows up and you're like, Oh wait, what? Why yeah. is he still around? I feel like if you had uh, an actor with the proper amount of gravitas, and I'm not saying Sean Astin's not a good actor, and the, I think he's wonderful in Lord of the Rings. I liked him. I liked him in Rudy. I liked him in uh, you know uh, the Goonies. <laughs> like he's just in the right type of role. He's very good, but I don't think this is the right type of role for him. Yeah, um, and you know it could also be that the the character feels a lot like one of those ones that either in the editing room or in, you know, pre-production rewrites, the character was taken more and more out of the film. Hmm. Cause I think like, I feel like if there'd been more of him, he may have felt like he justified his existence a little bit more, 
but if there was, then there might be too much right. of that. That might make the movie too long. And besides the fact that he is the catalyst for, you know, he, he's the inciting incident kind of, um, besides that, you really don't need him for the rest of the movie. I mean, the movie can sustain itself without him for the rest of it. Yeah. And, and he I, adds something to it, but he's not necessary. So I can see that being the thing where they're like, listen, we got to cut more Hank scenes. Which, you know, and that's the, if that's the case, good for them cutting out their dad. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is either you need more or less of him. Yeah. And right now he just, he feels like he doesn't belong yeah. somehow. And I do still think that where he is right now, if you'd had a stronger actor, or at least an act, when I say stronger, I don't necessarily mean better. I mean, an actor who just exudes strength and mm-hmm. confidence and can command a room. Um, if you cast him in there, I do think the character works better. And, and I don't think we'd be having this conversation. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, uh, and we'll talk more about how the characters are written in a moment. Um, the other, the other part that doesn't work well for me, although in a different movie, this, it would have worked great is see Thomas Howell. (laughs) He he's mugging for a lot of this movie. Yeah. Here's one thing I'll give you about the performance that I do like. Um, see Thomas Howell. Yes. Okay. Uh, when, when he has his like off screen conversion experience. Yeah. It, it could have, they could have played it like suddenly he is meek and likable yeah. and they didn't do that. They still made him stay a little bit annoying. So I'm glad, I'm glad for that. I, I am as well, actually. Um, but which he would is, have worked better if he was a different type of annoying the whole time. <laughs> well, maybe so. Uh, and he like, these some of these are directing choices too. some of the things they cut to him like during some of the games when he's ribbing the other team like (laughs) he's he's basically screaming at the top of his lungs where's your god now (laughs) it's like okay that where's your messiah now yeah (laughs) it's a lot for uh it's too much i think and I, i i think it's a maybe a a it's the the actor and the script and the direction working together to be too much yeah, it's uh, and like I said, it's it's a performance out of a different film. If you if you were making something like Varsity Blues, where every character is an archetype and is kind of over the top, then the opposing coach who just takes glee in just destroying his enemies, it I'm I'm more okay with that. Some of the bad guys in throughout the movie, I'd say, are a little bit heightened. There is definitely that, like the the school official. Yeah who has a moment early on where he's like yelling and very upset and that I believe, but then yeah. there's a moment when he like cuts the mics and looks so pleased with himself for, because he's complete, even though he's completely out of touch with the tone of the room. Yeah. He, I like him in that first scene, but yeah, for the rest of it, he's a little bit over yeah. the top. Although I will say that's the, as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, Oh, that guy's really from Alabama. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, no question about it. <laughs> a lot of the other ones you're like, Oh, that guy's doing an accent, but that guy, I'm pretty sure he, he, he knows Alabama at least. And you know what? There's there's one moment in C. Thomas Howell's performance where the character is meant to be serious, like, mm-hmm. and it's when, in what I think is an actual wonderful story beat, because and it's based on a true story where the the two rival teams are practicing together. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you have the two coaches who are rivals. You have them standing there, and you know one. Uh, the lead character says, "You know, I always wanted to like win a championship ring, and I always wanted to like." coach a really amazing player and he says you've done both what do you think and i first off i love the acknowledgement of hey you've done the two things that i want to do that i want to do i like the humility in that line but anyway 
And then he says, ah, and I, I took, I, I wanted to remember. He's like, ah, rings gather dust. And he's like, but this is forever. And it's the thing is like, I like that line. I like the way he plays it. And I, but I would have bought it more if he wasn't such a cartoon on either side of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can see that because he does. He certainly, or at least maybe one or two more scenes between the two where you actually see his priorities changing a little bit. Yeah. Um, or at least getting, getting more perspective on things. So, right. Cause his, his quote unquote conversion is pretty like, Hey, didn't that happen over there? All right, let's move forward. So right. It's, it's, kind of perfunctory yeah but i do i like you said i do like that his personality doesn't change like there's a part where that i laughed and i'm not sure if it's supposed to be funny where the the two coaches in the big game the two coaches and the chaplain they get together to pray and he and the way he takes his head off he's like all right let's pray and he says <laughs> it like with this giant horrifying grin on his face like if the joker became religious um but uh, there's a short film for you oh man somebody make that um, so, so that's a performance that didn't really work for me, even though like I kind of, it's a performance I would enjoy, but because of the, what the, because of the film around it, I'm like, I can't, I can't stand next to this. Like this is, <laughs> this is no good. Um, so, uh, so those are a couple of things that, and, and when I look at those characters, you know, and those performances, you and I both immediately jumped to, well, maybe the problem is with how they're written. Maybe the problem is the script, mm-hmm. which will br- which now brings me to the script. Um, as is always the case, the script is the problem. Mm-hmm. If there like, there's a lot the script does right. Yeah, it's. It, I I think it's much like a lot of other movies that work on a lot of levels, but don't on other levels. I feel like the the script is a is a, you know, a two and a half star script. Yeah, and but they have instincts that I like first off the instinct to tell the story. This mm-hmm. is a good story. Yeah. It's one that I found. I, I mean, in watching the movie, I found myself feeling rather inspired at times. Yeah. Or you wonder about like, Oh, like I, th- I think anytime it's something historical and you want to know more about the story. Yeah. I think that's a good sign too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. You, there are two options. <laughs> that's there. True. One is, it's like, wow, I got to find out more. And the other is like, that, didn't that can't happen. be right. That yeah. can't be right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and so just the story beats I'm okay with. I do think structurally it's a little strange where I thought it was going to cover one season, but it covers mm-hmm. like a season and a half, like two seasons basically, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. And when it, when it transitions from one to the other, I still like in principle what they're doing, but it just seemed like a jarring shift to me. Yeah, I don't know if I felt the jarring shift as much, but I definitely felt like suddenly at that point after the first season is over there's kind of a lull for a little bit where it feels like okay now we're in the denouement but you know the movie's not over yet right so it it sort of ambles for what feels like 15 minutes maybe a little bit longer maybe 20 minutes um yeah that might be it that it's just and maybe that is kind of a shift because it is a shift in tone. It's like there were yeah. high stakes and there were big things going on. Now it's like, all right, everyone's getting along. He's trying to s- decide where he's going to go to college. But that that conflict of the college thing uh, is given is treated like it has more weight than I think it actually does. Right. I don't think we actually care that much. You know, like yeah. great, he'll he'll go to Auburn or he'll go to Alabama, and people in Alabama might. <laughs> know that that's a huge decision because those are giant rival schools. But for us as, as viewers, 
potato potato like we don't really care that much right and i mean we do see it's like okay well only one of them is coached by john voigt so mm. i guess i want him to play for that one right exactly. and we have there's nothing from auburn that makes us yeah. think that we care about that much to them except they mentioned that the coach is from there yeah which and that that's a throwaway line you know it doesn't it still doesn't yeah. really matter that much and it's leading up to the game between the two of them but uh between tony nathan and the and the uh you know quote unquote rival quarterback. Yeah. But now that they get along and both teams like each other and stuff, we don't really care who wins. Yeah. Which the thing is, I kind of love that because that certainly does subvert the expectation of the sports movie. Yes. So it's like thematically That's and emotionally, I thematically I like it, but yeah. as far as, uh, as far as like the, um, uh, the structure of the film, it, yeah, it, it takes it takes some wind out of its sails which may be why they add this thing that bothered me so much <laughs> all right look i recognize okay i've seen god's not dead and i recognize that there are things going on in the u.s where christians are not really being allowed in some cases obviously not all over the place and not as a pure function of the government um but like there are by which I mean, it's not like official government policy or anything. It's like, all right, screw those Christians, get them out of there. It's not that, but I do recognize that at some colleges and, and in some States, uh, there are Christians that aren't really allowed to worship the way they want or say the things they want. I recognize that that is not, that's not the same as like hardcore oppression. And it's, but it seems to be a thing we keep coming back to over and over again. And the beats here where, you know, the school official, the, the county official or whatever, school superintendent, whatever he might be, and his distaste for the, the faith of these players and, and of seemingly coming from the coach as a potential mandatory uh, issue, they spend a lot of time on it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they do that because it that there's your stakes for the game. I, I think, yeah, it feels like a little bit of an artificially inserted conflict. Cause there, yeah. cause I had that thought as I'm watching the movie, I thought, well, where's the conflict right now? We don't care which team wins. We don't really right. care that much what college he goes to. It's like, okay, the, this, this guy's going to get, you know, the coach is going to get kicked off the team. Right. If they do anything like that. And I like, I like the moment where he decides to have them pray anyway, in a very sure, public absolutely. way. Um, the guy unplugging the things a little bit ham fisted, although maybe that's real. I don't know. Maybe that really happened. Yeah, maybe. Um, but again, like it's just, and I do think the fact that even in the midst of what seems like an artificial crisis, I still have, like you said, I still have moments where, where I like that the coaches are getting together to pray. And I think that's a power of the filmmaking and the acting, mm -hmm. even if the script is not helping much. Um, but yeah, but that whole sequence Maybe it was something that they added in to add, you know, narratively to add stakes. Maybe it's something they added thematically. Maybe it's something the studio wanted them to add mm -hmm. because it does seem to come kind of out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, and it, in those moments, regardless of what the acting was, regardless of the filmmaking choices, the, the decision to include it, um, and kind of screw up the pacing a little bit, actually. Um, it felt like something out of a much more conventional Christian film. Hmm. Um, and, and I had this, it's just like, don't get me wrong. If this, like, this is stuff that is happening. And so by all means, I, 
it's something to address. I, uh, you and I said before, we think there should be a documentary made about it. They should stop cramming it in to fictional narratives. Not that this is a fictional story, but like, you know, it's not, we're not seeing interviews with the real people or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't know. The inclusion of it just bothered me um, because it felt like the film was better than that. Hmm. Um, I don't know, but maybe it's just, maybe it's just that I was, I was so on board with the film that any, any time it intersects with the subgenre of Christian film that I am so often frustrated by, it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you're doing so well. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but it would appear, I think I might have, might have had a bigger problem with it than you. I didn't so much. I mean, at that point I was looking for something to latch on to, and I, I'm kind of assuming that's part of the real story because the guy really did, the coach really did have to leave the school. Right. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's, I don't know that that's, that's how I made sense of it as part of the story. Yeah. And, and I thought the pacing was off by that point already. Yeah. Um, because it didn't have the story as a whole, didn't have a big enough thing to build to. Yeah. Um, you know, unless it was just the end of the season, which it wasn't, uh, it wanted to go past that. So after that, and you, you know, you lose that a little bit. Um, so it didn't bother me too much from that standpoint, but I can see what you're saying. If it, there's a going back to the con- conventionalism of Christian film, and I, it does bother me when other films do that too. Or, well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. What I meant to say is there are other moments in this film when, not not many, but there are a few times when, especially with dialogue, there are little oh, sure. dialogue beats that seem like there's. This is a hard thing to say because I it's something that I recognize even like the Christian church and Christian conversation. There are turns of phrase and and um, really axioms that we have gotten used to and we all say, mm-hmm. and I think we they don't they don't really have any meaning anymore, and I think that happens in like probably any Bible study that you're in, people are going to say things that seem like Christian. We, we call it Christianese. There's a reason for it. Um, and I, there were a few moments like that in here. Like I know there's one when the girl, the, the, the school official walks in to find these kids praying in the, in the uh, gymnasium. And mm-hmm. he talks to this woman who's a teacher and he says, are you organizing this? And she says, no, like, I'm not leading it. The kids are leading me. Yeah. She's like a week ago, I was an atheist or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of a standard thing. Yeah. And I, there were a few things like that, that I didn't like. Um, but that may, the reason I couch that in the idea of Christianese is because maybe that's where the problem is. There are sort of these, uh, ways that we have come to express how we look at our faith over yeah. the last, you know, 2000 years that yeah. have gotten a little bit ingrained. Um, and so they don't have the same, uh, the same punch anymore. Well, and you know, I, I, I think one of the other things that bothers me about the way the film approaches faith, and I think this might also play into my frustration with the Sean Astin character is that let's go back to believe me. One of the things you and I both liked about believe me is it picked a very specific theme which was the idea of, well, as long as something provides comfort for somebody, then what does it matter what you believe? And the film, that is a very specific viewpoint by the, uh, in the modern world, and the film decides it's going to address it. Mm-hmm. I like that specificity. What I think the, the issue with this film is that like, anytime it deals with uh, faith, it tends to be very broad. Um, when I look at the uh, 
the stuff that the chaplain says it's all the broadest stuff in the world like it's all like the the stuff that he says to uh convert the team and they react as though it's their first time hearing it now Mm -hmm. while i absolutely do understand on a spiritual level that you know sometimes a thing you are very familiar with hits your ear a certain way maybe because of the way the person said it maybe because of where you are in your life right now that's something that under that happens i totally get it but i do often think that a film has a, a responsibility to sell it better that this is that that this is something that like because of the tone of their practices or the um or the thing that the chaplain is saying these kids who were raised in alabama Mm -hmm. my guess is this is not their first time hearing this stuff um i don't know i I feel like that scene would have worked better if they'd give if they'd been more specific i Mm -hmm. think all the spirituality would have worked better if they had been more specific yeah um as opposed to the the broadest possible stuff and it could be that they're trying to maybe uh, paint too big a picture of faith. I think that's a, sure. that's a pitfall that a lot of Christian films fall into is there's so much in the idea of Christianity. There's so yeah. much in it. You can make a hundred million movies about a hundred million different topics, you know? Yeah. So it's very easy to get caught up in like, well, you know, we got to make sure that we cover all of this. We got to make sure that, yeah. Uh, and that ends ends up usually in just being too broad. So that maybe yeah. is a little bit of what's happening here. But what's interesting is that narratively. So when the coach, dis- when the coach converts, first off, I like the way they handle it. Like there's yeah, no huge scene. Even when he comes and says, I want to be baptized. Like that's a big deal, but I buy it. And I it feels that's, natural. Yeah. Um, but what I, the reason it feels natural is because it feels earned. This is a guy who has seen the effect that these beliefs have had on his team. Right. And he's questioned it. Often. Yeah. And so because of that, it's like, well, I guess there's something to this. And I, and I feel like a lot of people have probably come to faith as a result of that. They see a difference in their life or, or somebody else's life. And they think, okay, maybe there's more to this than I thought. Maybe it's not purely cultural. Um, so his conversion feels a lot more real. Theirs, maybe because it happened so early and because an entire team does it at once. Yeah, I'm not saying that's not possible. I'm saying that needs to be if you're going to have it be that early and that big you need to earn it with some great writing mm-hmm. and i don't think they have great writing mm-hmm. um or you have the writing you have and you get a much more forceful actor you know like there was a i read a biography of charles lawton mm-hmm. and there used he used to do these things where he would he would go around the country and do like live readings of uh, the bible mm-hmm like the story of King King David or something like that. And Charles Lawton was not a Christian, but he is a forceful actor mm-hmm. who brings a lot of, a lot of weight literally and physically and uh, figuratively to, um, to everything he does. And there were people who would come to hear, they came to hear Char- Charles Lawton do something mm-hmm. and they came away feeling like they'd been like touched by God. Hmm. And it's because it's like now, obviously he's reading from the Bible, which has some force to it, but it's also Charles Lawton reading this, you know, like Mm -hmm. if, if Ian McKellen, who I don't know what his spiritual beliefs are, but if he gave like a, a a Christian speech or something like that, it'd be like, 
yeah, absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I am on board with you, Magneto. <laughs> you think I'd go Gandalf? I decided not to. I'll go. You know what? I'll go. <laughs> you James. went with the evil villain side. I go James Whale. That's what I say. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, uh, <laughs> beloved American institution, James Whale. Hey, people love his movies. Three of it's them, true. anyway. It's true. Um, three of them. So, uh, yeah. So I think that, and in that way, I think the film like you said, it has a lot in common with other Christian films. Um, whenever the characters are speaking overtly about their faith, that's when part of me is like, eh, all right. But anytime you see it in action and the way they're relating to each other, now I'm on board. Yeah. I feel like the way they show it going into action is pretty well. And I like that in the way that he, uh, that, uh, the Tony Nathan character deals with, uh, the girl. And mm-hmm. then there's, there's a little bit in that and that's not super fleshed out, but I, I like yeah. the way, his Christianity seems to come into that. And I like the way that, like I said before, and this is getting into the themes, I guess a little bit. I, I liked the way that it's at least suggesting, and maybe it could have been more powerful, but at least suggesting that the, uh, their, that the Christian belief is what is able, what helps them get past the, uh, the rach, racial mm-hmm. conflict. Yeah. There's something that unifies them. And, and that actually is why I like the story beat that they are now practicing with the other team and they're now close with that other team. Because what I like is that it emphasizes the unifying nature of a belief in Christ, which we'll get to in a moment with specific Bible verses. But, um, and then it, it's not merely racial unity. It can be this, it can be something now racial unity is huge. Hmm. Whereas like a school rivalry, not as big, but in the, in some communities it's, that's also huge yeah. and unheard of that these two teams would ever come together, yeah. you know, fraternizing with the enemy, so to speak. Right. And so, um, I like the inclusion of it as far as like a way of, of underlining the theme. And I think that's handled fair, uh, fairly well. Another scene that I actually like, which I don't know. It speaks to, I think it speaks to character and it speaks to theme a little bit. And that's the scene where he, uh, is given player of the year, um, with, uh, with the rival quarterback and it's George Wallace who has said very, uh, rough things at that point. (laughs) And, and I think both Nick Bishop and Caleb Castile. So the, the quarterback and the coach, I think they both do a great job in that scene. They don't overplay it. You know, it would have been very yeah. easy, very easy for for the the for uh, Tony Nathan to stand and be like, "Sir, I will not accept. I will not take a photo." Fo-. He doesn't do that. He's nervous. He's t- he's taking a stand, but he's nervous. He's saying no to the governor of his of his state. Yeah. And then his coach also could have said like, "I stand by my player," but he doesn't. He's very because that's not in his nature. Uh-huh. He is quietly strong and he's quietly strong right now in support of his player. And so, um, and I think that might actually go to the idea of, of, uh, faith being an emboldening thing, because if for this, for the coach, if it was only ever about winning and only ever about status, then it's like, no, you're going to take a photo with the governor of the state. Right. And then I, your coach will be right there as well. But to him, it's much more important to be in unity with his player and understand a deeper injustice than any kind of status that he has. Yeah. So that scene is really powerful. And I think that's one thing that, that, uh, I think more Christian films should work to show that thing because there's so many voices out there saying that, 
uh, Christianity is a is a problem and it's a source of all these terrible things yeah. and and it's inherently divisive, right? Yeah, and there are so many examples throughout history of where Christianity has uh, has fought for social justice, has fought for right against uh, you know all of these these major injustices and and stuff like this is one example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot in the film that really works. Um, and I walked away from, I, I walked into the film not expecting much. I don't expect much from Christian movies these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's not perfect, but it's a real movie. I was genuinely engaged through a lot of it, not all of it. Um, I was affected by artistic choices that the director made to the extent uh, the directors made to the extent that I forgot about them. Mm-hmm. Like rather than notice, oh, that's a nice shot or, oh, that's that, you know, um, I just, I was able to just lose myself in the story and the characters every once in a while there was a, and not even every once in a while, there was frequently like a bit of dialogue that was clunky and would take me out of it. But then the performances, the way the film was shot would bring me back in without being super aware of what they were doing to bring me back in. So, um, I did mention that I was going to get to the, the music. So I'll briefly mention that, uh, Early on, the music was like really over the top and treated everything like a thriller. But then it kind of settled into some nice, almost Friday Night Lights type, you know, tones that really just sort of set the set the mood without underlining how you should feel. And so even the music eventually becomes crucial, but also somewhat invisible. Um, yeah, it's listeners. If you, you know this is not the best movie you're going to see all year. Uh, the big thing for me is that it's not in my, in my bottom 10 of the year. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Hey, that's you know, good. War room is my least favorite movie of the year. Yeah. And I so, it would be mine as well. Yeah. Last year was saving Christmas. Uh, the year before that, I <laughs> maybe, don't know what it was. Maybe Kirk Cameron will have another movie come out this year. You maybe hold out hope for that. Uh, there's a few months left to, you know, spend a month making a Christmas, <laughs> a Christmas movie. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're interested, go go see it. If if for no other reason than because, and I don't like to be this person, uh, there's always this big push in the Christian community that we've got to go out and support these movies, you know. Um, and usually, I don't like that because the movies are terrible and they don't deserve to be supported. This is a film that is not making a great deal of money. Um, I was the only one in the theater seeing it. Yeah, I was one of three people in in my theater, although it was a 10 p.m. showing on a weeknight. So I don't even know why they had that show. I guess mine was 4 o'clock on a Tuesday, so that doesn't help either. Yeah, it's just not a big... It's not a big movie right now compared to War Room where you and I saw it and it was not a full theater, but it was pretty full. It was a lot of people. Um, And... So, like, listeners, this movie needs to make more money because I want Christians to see it Mm -hmm. because I do think that there's now I I wrote in my you can read my review of this uh, of the film on more than one lesson dot com. But what I end with is like there's now no excuse budgetary, maybe, but like artistically, there's no excuse for now for Christian films to not be at least as good as Woodlawn. Mm hmm. You know, like even to the point of, yeah, you might not be able to cast John Voight, but Nick Bishop, experienced actor though he may be, he's not a name. Uh, And so they probably, he probably didn't cost that much money to cast, 
but he was great. Yeah. And then uh, Caleb Castile had no experience, but they cast the right person for yeah. the part as opposed to just settling for whoever's available. And I don't know. It's just like, it deserves to make more money than war room. And it's making, and I think it's made like not even 10% of war room. Oh, wow. And so listeners, it's not the best movie you're going to see this year. It's not, it's nowhere near my top 10 or top 20 or 30, but in the Christian, it's a real movie at the very least. And for in the Christian world, that's huge. So go and see it. If you can, uh, we will now move into our companion film very briefly, the companion, and we'll talk more about it, uh, in a couple months when we uh, get to it for best picture, uh, Norman Jewison's 1967 film in the heat of the night written by here's a fun name, Sterling Siliphant. That is fun. I feel like that's a fake name, right? It has to be. <laughs> we got we got a lot of fun names in here. We got Quentin Peoples. We got Tandy Geralds. We got Sterling Siliphant. Norman yeah, Jewison's even a fun name. It is. And then Virgil and then, Tibbs. And then based on the novel by John Ball. Come on. <laughs> Get with the program. <laughs> it sounds like you're not trying. Exactly. <laughs> it's like if someone... That sounds like a fake name. Where it's just like, uh, what's your name? It's like, my name's John. Um, and then you look around the room <laughs> and you see what you can name. It's like... Ball. John Ball. It's like, really? Yep. Can I come in? Because <laughs> uh, he's a vampire. So, In the Heat of the Night is a, is a film that I that I love. I think it's amazing. It won a number of Oscars. Best Picture, uh, Best Actor for Rod Steiger, Adapted Screenplay, Sound, and Editing. And the editor, by the way, is Hal Ashby. That's weird. Which I, I find interesting. Um, so... We won't go into a lot of detail because this is going to be uh, something we'll talk more about in a, in, in a little while. Uh, so it stars Sidney Poitier, Rod Steiger, Warren Oates, who's always, I enjoy seeing Warren Oates on screen. Scott Wilson, who's still around. Really? He was in The Walking Dead, one of the best parts of it. Good for uh, him. But it's it's about these, to me, it's it's a really wonderful film about race relations because it's that's definitely a big part of it but it's also a who it's also a whodunit it's yeah. a crime story it's a pr- police procedural and that to me is the brilliance that is the genius mm-hmm. of in the heat of the night because guess who's coming to dinner is dated immediately yeah you watch it and you can appreciate the performances certainly but uh but you come away being like okay it's about interracial marriage but that's a thing that's uh, that is here now and uh so it's so it doesn't seem quite as crazy as as it did at the time in the heat of the night certainly uh aspects of race relations are a lot better than they were in 1967 but it's also very specifically about these characters and this case and i think it winds up being and oddly enough through the specificity of that it winds up being way more timeless than going broader. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an aspect of film and storytelling that I've always found fascinating. The idea that you could make a generic character and people will, will respond less to that person than somebody whose circumstances aren't at all like their own, but they'll, they feel like they can relate to that person mm-hmm. more. Um, so I'm a big fan. I, I, I think in the heat of the night is wonderful. You haven't seen it in a while. It's been a little while. Yeah. Did you, do you enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was, I mean, it's one that's known for having some really strong performances, and mm-hmm. they definitely have that. They definitely stick out, and it, and it doesn't seem like it's 
uh, kind of like I mentioned the, at the opening, the racial aspect of it is couched in something bigger mm-hmm. and uh, is more engaging for that. Yeah, and you know, in Woodlawn, you have these these characters coming together, not merely as a function of their faith, but also they're on a team. They are working towards a goal. They're working towards winning. And in in the heat of the night, you have these two uh, police officers working towards solving a case. And there there's something about like people unifying behind something. Right. That it's not even so much that like one is black and one is white, but also one is from the South. One is from the North. Yeah. Like they're very different people. And then, yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's a thing that always is interesting and works well in movies when you have people that have to come together for a common yeah. goal, even though these people would never work together in, in most of life. And I do love, uh, the writing of in the heat of the night because that's one where you have characters because these two guys do get closer personally and, and come to respect one another. Mm-hmm. But, at no point do they say, you know, Virgil, he wouldn't say it like that because he's <laughs> Southern, but like he says, you know, Virgil, we, uh, we didn't like each other at the beginning of this case, but <laughs> now you know I've what? seen the light. I'm beginning to respect you as a human being. You know, Chief Gillespie, I agree with you. Let's hug. You know, it's not that. It's it's all in the performances, and it's just and the actors and the director finding the moments of like right there is where you can show respect for this guy, even though there's almost nothing in the line. It's an opportunity, and you have when you have somebody like Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger playing these parts, it's it's just amazing. And they're like, physically they're such different actors as well. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rod Steiger and, mm-hmm. uh, and he's so much fun to watch in this. Uh, and I don't know. It's, uh, listeners, if you haven't seen the film, go watch it. Uh, I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Um, and so in talking about what can unify people, you know, in Woodlawn, obviously, the, there is their faith, but and there's also the, the the football, and there's not much of an element of faith in in the heat of the night. It's there's a little bit there because you know they're in the South and there's the culture of it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the one of the amazing things about Christianity, and like Josh said, it can be very divisive. People treat it as divisive, when in fact it is remarkably inclusive and it is a, a great equalizer over and over again in the in the bible and specifically the new testament you know there will be people that talk about oh look at the way it talks about husbands and wives look at the way it talks about slaves and masters look at the way it talks about uh parents and children come on and what they don't realize is that before that and in some cases after that culturally and in other religions like well it used to only be Wives act like this, slaves act like this, and children act like this. That's it. And if you happen to be one of the people that's sort of culturally in power, uh, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Who cares? You've got the power. And this is a, a faith that says, no, uh, masters, you have a responsibility to your slaves mm-hmm. just as you have a responsibility to God. And husbands, you have a responsibility to your wives. Uh, parents, you have a responsibility to your children. It's just like, because they are, God doesn't see the power that you have. He right. only sees you as somebody who either accepts him or rejects him. Yeah. And, and, and then also, even if, even if you're somebody that accepts him, 
he doesn't see that as like worthy of favor. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, which is to say, it's not like he loves you more yeah. than the person that doesn't accept him. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I've got a number of, of uh, Bible verses here. One is Malachi 2.10. I never get to quote Malachi. Dig into Malachi for that one. Uh, do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Uh, Acts 10 verses 34 and 35. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I'm always fascinated. It says opening his mouth. It's like, you know. <laughs> Maybe using mostly his, Peter could talk through his nose. So this was a. Uh, <laughs> using his telepathy, Peter said, uh, <laughs> I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed, have clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So that's two verses, and love one another is said three times. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, I mean, so much of this is like kind of a standard thing that people un that people seem to understand. They act as though they understand. Um Christian or otherwise, you know, they will often use that. It's like, why don't you just be like Jesus and love me? Mm. Like they'll use that word as a way of often like justifying their lack of belief or uh, certain actions or whatever. It's just like, we need to understand just how amazing this is and how it will always apply. Yeah. It was revolutionary at the time and it still is. Yeah. You and know? if you truly believe it, it has to change the way that you see the world that you live in because yeah. the world... The world always separates us out. The world always makes separations between yeah. race, like Jew or Greek. The, the world always makes separations between uh, status and work, slave or free man, and certainly between uh, the genders, male and female. So that that's been the case forever. But Jesus is saying, in within His world and in God's eyes, those mm -hmm. those are not differences that matter. Um, and that is yeah, and that is why, as you mentioned. Uh, when there are, you know, social justice movements, like, for example, uh, in the 1960s, the, honestly, I feel like people like Martin Luther King, knowing what I know about Malcolm X and what I know about Malcolm X is because I saw the movie Malcolm X, um, directed by Spike Lee, who clearly admired him. And mm -hmm. I, and I admire him too as well. But, um, but the the difference between the two, I some would argue that it needs to be a combination of both, where it's like force and love. Um, but and both men were assassinated, so you know I'm sure the world sees them very much the same. But I do think that like Martin Luther King came from a place of love and lack of judgment, even of the people that were hurting him. If anybody could make make a snap judgment and make a generalization about people it was you know uh southern blacks in the 1960s mm. but he said no we can't do that god doesn't see them any different than he sees us and vice versa it's like which is why we need to march for our rights but at the same time we can't hate these people mm. it's not it's it's not in us and i think people saw the appeal of that and that's why you had you know 
as we see in the movie Selma, you know, uh, and also, you know, history, it happened before there was a movie, um, <laughs> why you had, you know, people of different, uh, often of different faiths, but also different races flying across the country to be there with them because yeah. they understand, uh, they understood whether they believed it or not. They understood the nature of, of Christianity and that it is this equalizer and that no, God does not favor any one person over another. And that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. an amazing thing and something we can still, uh, we can still apply to our own lives. But anyway, um, okay. I think we will end there. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. And then you can also like us on Facebook. Uh, I think that is about it. Thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.